Hannah, can you give me that uh, the slide with the phone number on it, the connect number? I think they're in a loop, so I would do it, but I'm afraid it would uh, start looping. <sighs> I don't know if we can turn the loop off, maybe. All right. You guys happy? <laughs> Not convinced. Not convinced. Good to see you guys this morning. You look great. Came together. Here we are together to worship, to put God in the right place in our heads, to, to honor him, to follow him, to follow Jesus Christ together. That's what we have in common, Jesus. If it's your first time with us, uh, what I'd like to ask you to do is to send a text, the word welcome to that phone number, 307 224 4404. If you haven't done that before, please do that. It'll ask you for your email. Might even ask you for your, your address so we can send you a credit card or something. <laughs> no, okay, just kidding. All right. All right, so uh, please do that uh, anyway. And I guess I should probably roll through these announcements right quick. Uh, when, the 11th, there's a kids' worker get together, November 11th, Wednesday nights. Meet and greet here. Seven? There it is, the 11th, 7 o'clock, meet and greet kids workers. If you are uh, if you're like, man, I'm ready to serve Jesus and kids, you should be here at 11, Wednesday night. You'd be here at the 11th, at 7. I did that on purpose so you'd remember. I was a memory hook. I didn't forget or misspeak myself at all. Also, I'm sorry, I know it's on that rotate, we can't turn it off. But uh, no, you're okay. The, so uh, we are taking donations this month for diapers and, and, uh, and money donations. So diapers for inside connections, they need size 3, 4, and 6. Also diapers for the food bank and then donations for the food bank so, uh, and for mass. So if you want to help us out in November and you'll be willing to make donations for those kind of things, that would be awesome. All right? So today I have a... Uh, can you give me my first slide now? Thanks, Anna. I, I'm sorry I'm working you overtime. You probably should deserve a raise or something over there. So I have a, a sober subject, okay? But my, I'm not, not only do I not want this to be a downer, I want this to be real encouragement, real courage. But I'm going to tell you, you can't get to a place of real courage unless you deal with some realities. You know what I'm saying? You can't just throw on some optimism, throw on that happy face and everything turn out. We've all tried that. We read the book and and uh, tried to implement it, and it didn't work. And so I want to deal with some realities that Jesus said were coming, some realities that have already happened in the world, but my purpose is courage. And I want to tell you why you don't have to be afraid, and then I'm going to show you how to overcome that fear. Okay, does that sound okay with you? I need you to be here, though. I know you look either tired or grumpy. I don't know which one it is. But suck it up, buttercup. We're going forward, all right? We're going to embrace the word of God and and, uh, and charge forward in faith and not fear. Guys, you got to understand the the worst parts of church history were born out of fear. And we cannot go forward in fear. We must go forward in faith. God is still God. Amen? Amen? He's my God. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Is he your Lord? Yes, I All right. So let's charge ahead and today. So the title of this message is called The Persecution is Here. And I promise you, I wrote this weeks ago. This was not written last week. <laughs> so if you're sitting there going, thinking of all the political things that have happened last week, and going, oh, he's going to deal with that. I'm not. This sermon has been prepared for a while. 
because because uh, I have a belief about the future based on what Jesus said that I want to prepare for myself and I want to prepare us for. So let me start with a little bit of some, with a history lesson, a little bit of a history lesson. Persecution is not a new thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but in 1910, the capital of North Korea was known as the Jerusalem of Asia. 25% of North Korea were Christians in 1910. And that's when Japan came in. And when they came in, they enforced emperor worship and began to persecute Christianity. They did that for about 35 years. And then at the end of World War II, uh, Kim Jus on. Oh, man, I better get the right notes here. I'm not going to get the right place. Give me a second. <clears throat> I forgot his name. That's how much I love him. Kim Soo Jong. Sorry. He came in with his communist ideology and a core atheist foundation to that ideology, which is, is what drives most of communism or has so historically. And so he began to truly persecute Christianity. And then, of course, the Korean War, where we got involved to, to stop the communist threat, as we said at the time. And then, as we got involved, he was able to successfully make Christianity an American religion and drove out even more Christians. So I just want you to know, over 45 years, North Korea went from basically a Christian nation to a totally anti-Christian nation in about 45 years, 35 years. What you also need to know is that to this very day, freedom of religion is guaranteed in the North Korean Constitution. You should know that to this very day, and yet it continually, by every organization that tracks persecution, ranks the lowest or the highest, however you want to look at it, in persecuting faith in general. So that's a... That's a that's something. This isn't to make you afraid. It's to look at a brutal reality. The one that bothers me the most, the one that I struggle with having courage about the most, is Romania. In 1946, in about November, it may have been September of that year, the People's Republic of Romania, a communist government, came into power. You could read the book, Tortured for Christ, by Richard Bornbrand, or you could watch the movie. It's been available for free on Vudu for a while. And, and you, could get, you could watch his story. But the People's Republic came in power in September, and Richard Bornbrand, a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, was in jail in February of the next year. Less than six months, the persecution began. Over the next 18 years, he was in and out of prison and suffered for his faith. Persecution is not new. China has known it for years. We talk, we have talked often about the Chinese Christians and how that it seems like they're persecuted and driven underground. And then they're granted a little bit of room to breathe and they rise up above ground, maybe even get some buildings. And then the government comes back in, takes away their buildings, and the persecution renews. The most challenging place in his book, The Insanity of God, written by Nick Ripken, which is a pseudonym, but he... he goes over what has happened in the Middle East and how the persecution there is unique because it's not specifically government persecution. It's a different kind of persecution. It's a persecution where you don't turn your newly converted friend into the government. The family knows about it and the family actually deals with it. So you have family members that are persecuting and even killing their own family members for converting to Christianity. 
So there is a reality of persecution that is not new to the world. And that's just covering not even the last hundred years. That's just some things that are going on. So what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do, especially in light of what Jesus says in Matthew 24? So let me, uh, let me jump back to Matthew 24 here. And this is what Jesus said. You with me? Just say yeah. Even if you're asleep, say yeah. All right. Jesus told them. By the way, do you think Jesus knows what he's talking about? When you read this, I want you to think of something as I read it. Jesus, the Son of God, in his prayer time, Father revealed to him the future. Showed him what was going to happen. And Jesus shared that with his disciples. This is what we're about to read. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Don't panic. (laughs) Say don't panic. panic. Felt good, right? (laughs) Maybe can't do it, but you're trying, right? Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world. Because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. And sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. So that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Is that a happy text or what? Actually it is. Because the message of Jesus makes it to the ends of the earth. That's what the Father is teaching us. And that's what you have to understand when you look at world events and you experience fear. Or when you go through your own personal challenges and you experience fear. You have to remember that what the Father is actually doing through whatever circumstances you face. Is he's giving more and more people access to his son. That's what this is about. Because Jesus Christ is the answer. You're not the answer. More money isn't the answer. A cure isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. And so everything that happens in this world, God is using to give access to Jesus Christ. And that is worth it because that saves people eternally. That doesn't just make your life more comfortable. That makes your eternity secure. That guarantees you presence. Father God for all eternity when people get access to Jesus Christ. Does he understand? So this is very important. And so as Jesus goes through these kinds of things, I want to remind you that even though we read those texts and they scare us, I want to challenge you to not be afraid. I want want to give you some reasons to not fear scary stuff in the Bible. Okay? You ready? Here's reason number one, not to be afraid. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 
where the book of Hebrews, much of it is written to encourage people going through persecution. And in chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Hepper. I'm from Tennessee. The Lord's my helper. The Lord is my helper. So I have, I will have no fear. What? What can mere people do to me? Wow. What an amazing passage. Here's number reason, reason number one why you don't have to be afraid. You will never do a second of this life alone. There will never be a moment that you are actually alone. As I was writing this down, I was working on these thoughts, my, this part of me, I won't even tell you what I call him because I don't want you to start calling me that, but he rose up and he said, oh, we'll just call him Old Mackle. He rose up and he said, but Michael, you, you often feel alone. And that's true, isn't it? Isn't that true that you go through hardships and you go through challenges and you feel like nobody understands and nobody can get where you are and no one knows what you've been through and on and on that thought process goes and you feel alone. That's a lie. That's a lie. Do you know why I know that that's a lie? Because God said, I will never say never. God said, I will never abandon you. Listen, old Michael has said never plenty that he ended up doing. I will never do the dishes, woman. I'm doing the dishes. I love doing the dishes. I do. No one bothers you when you're doing dishes. I'm just, it's just, it's a peaceful, it's a peaceful time. Let the man do his dishes. Anyway, so, but when God says never, do you think he means it? And he said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Your grumpy day, God is there. Your happy day, God is there. When it's bad news coming in all day long, the Father is at your side. When it's good news shouted from the mountaintops, the Father is at your side. God is with you. Now this isn't just any old God. This isn't some God you whipped up in your imagination. This is the God of angel armies that we just sang about. This is the God who makes a way for you and for all those around you. So you have to understand, you have to know, I am not alone in this moment. You are not alone in this moment. God of angel armies. The God who's so powerful that just his blessing on an old prophet named Elisha was so powerful that one time, long after he was dead, they threw a dead man on top of his bones and the dude got up and walked. That's how powerful presence of God is on a life, is that life becomes contagious because God's presence upon you. That's the God who never leaves you. Do you understand this? So you don't have to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. You'll never do it alone. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I fear the most is my own cowardice. I'm afraid that in that moment of the worst stress, the most pressure, that I'll chicken out. I want to tell you something. God will be in that moment. And you will have in that moment what you need for that moment. When our son came and was born, our life changed very, very much. We didn't know how much at the time. We didn't know how much of a blessing or how much of a miracle we had received. We also, in that time of our life, 
learned what the expression meant, that we had heard and even taught that there will be grace there when you need it. People had always told us that. I had looked at people going through situations with with special needs children, health issues, and they'd say things like, there is grace there when you need it. And then I remember... remember sorry I didn't mean to share this so here it's just all messy I was driving I was driving to I can't I think it's the work or the store I don't know and my boss that I was working for at the time called me up on the phone and we had we had just received the news that our that our son was going to be awesomely special and we didn't know what that meant and I remember my boss calling me and checking on me, saying how the baby was doing. He's also a good friend of mine. And I, I'm not really a crier. I know I'm old now, so I cry a lot more than I used to. But I'm not really a crier. And uh, I'm a shouter. <laughs> I really like shouting. <laughs> Ask my kids. I was, I was driving the car, and he's the first person I spoke it out loud to what I was going through. And I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking. We had no idea what we were going to be dealing with at that time. And, and I just remember as the words came out of the diagnosis that we had received on our son, I just broke down and cried and I couldn't stop. I had to pull over. I couldn't even drive. And I'm sitting here going, God, I don't even know why I'm upset. Now, what I want you to know is that I did not know what it was to have grace For a situation that I had no idea what it would be. But when I got there, God was there. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I know this. When you get to your worst moment, I don't don't know what that could be. It could be persecution. It could be challenges in your relationships. It could be a health diagnosis that you weren't expecting. It could be anything. I, I don't know what it will be, I don't know when it will be, but I do know this. Father God's already there. He is there right now in that moment. He's pumping that moment full of grace. And when you get there, you're going to encounter the grace of God. You don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear anything. Michael, I don't want things to be bad. I don't want to suffer. Sorry. Adam made the choice. We're stuck with it. When you get there, though, God says... He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. You can't do anything so dumb that your father will walk out on you. Amen? You don't have to fear. So if you are worried about tomorrow, stop. One more thing. Let me me share this with you. Bravery is not a feeling. No one who's ever committed a courageous act did it because they felt courageous. Bravery is not a feeling. Bravery is actually faith. That God is true, that God is there, and that no matter what the circumstances dictate, God's word, God's promise is true. You'll never be alone. You have nothing to fear. I want to... I don't know if you have read or heard the story of Kayla Mueller. She was a, serving as a missionary, kidnapped by Islamic militants. She spent 18 months living the unimaginable. 
We won't even try and imagine what she went through. It was horrible. There was nothing anyone could do. After the 18 months, she, she, was, died. she died. It was horrible. She had an opportunity to escape at one point during that time period, enduring horrific acts every day, and she wouldn't take it because the two uh, Middle Eastern girls that were with her, if she'd have gone with them, she would have put them at risk because she was very white. She wrote this. I want, you to, I want you to hear this because I want you to see that someone can be going through something terrible and there God be in that moment. This is what she got out to some family members. I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. By God, by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. Tenderly cradled. She was living a nightmare. And her father was tenderly cradling her. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But as the hymn goes, I know who holds tomorrow. I know who inhabits that moment. You'll never be alone. So do not fear. You should also not fear persecution because, <clears throat> well, let me let Paul say it. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. If you know Paul's story, that sentence really carries a lot of weight. Do not be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself, for you've been given not only the privilege, everyone say privilege. privilege. You've been not given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege, say privilege, of suffering for him. The privilege of suffering for Christ. You and I grew up in, have seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, touched with our hands, this earthly kingdom. It's our reference for most of our opinions in life. And so in this earthly kingdom, we think wealth is a wonderful thing. You got more money, you got more happiness. We think comfort and luxury are wonderful things. The more comfortable you are, the more luxury you experience, then that's better. That's what the earthly kingdom all around you is telling you. But that's not the spiritual reality. In fact, as you get into the word of God, you'll discover that, the that it's the rich who are at risk of losing their eternal souls because their faith is in their possessions and in their money and not in Christ. You also learn that affliction and enduring suffering makes you stronger and anchors you deeper and makes you far more stable than someone who lives in luxury and comfort. The point is, is that the kingdom you've been saved into by placing your faith in Christ and living in a way that trusts him looks at things very differently than you're used to, than your eyes can see or your ears can hear. And so when it comes to this idea of suffering, Paul teaches us that we join Jesus in his suffering when we suffer for him. 
Jesus' greatest triumph was the cross and the resurrection that followed three days later. That was his greatest triumph. When we suffer, we join him in his suffering. That was Jesus' greatest triumph. How can you and I go through suffering and see it as a shame, as something, un, uh, something we are being punished for, when it's Jesus' greatest triumph? We have, to, we have to realize that you cannot join Jesus in his place of greatest tri- triumph and there be shamed. So there's a couple in Ethiopia. I'm going to say their names incorrectly. Is that okay? Okay, yeah. I'm just going to call them T&M. How's that? That's even better. I am not good at Ethiopian names. We had an Ethiopian missionary in a few years ago, and I massacred his name so badly. But it, he's a Christian, so he had to forgive me. But uh, anyway... <sighs> So the husband was ordained as a deacon in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And he got into the Word of God, and he discovered that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And he got excited, and he began to teach it in his church. He began to teach people that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And as that happened, that didn't set well. In fact, he came under persecution. In fact, he was excommunicated from his church. They fired him. And threw him out. And ran him out of town. And ran him up the mountain outside of town. And stabbed him. And then threw him in jail. That was his story. Then they seized all of their assets. Froze all of their accounts. In their city. That was the persecution they endured. They had to leave town. Go to another town. And there it started all over again. That was their persecution. Their suffering for Jesus. This is what his wife wrote later. See, I, I, I don't have this. On a slide, but this is what I wrote. She wrote, It's a privilege. The, this persecution is going to get you closer to God, to see who He is, how faithful a God He is, and how merciful a God He is. In fact, that is not a new statement. The, the testimonies coming out of the Middle East right now of the suffering that's happening day by day right now, you're getting statements like, Persecution makes you clean. It clarifies your vision. We have got to fix our theology of suffering. The church in America doesn't have one. The church in America thinks that if things are going bad, God must be mad at you, or at least, or he doesn't care about you. And that's a lie. Because we have to realize that when we suffer for Christ, we join him. We connect with the Father. And so if we can begin to adjust our thinking and know that no matter what comes, God is with me. He'll never leave me, never abandon me. But also to go through suffering for Jesus and with Jesus is a privilege. It's an honor. You know why? Because the third thing I want to show you is this. Because we win. That's why. I don't know. The Bible says this. 1 Peter 4.13, instead be very glad, say glad. glad, instead be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, Woo-hoo. so that you will have the wonderful joy, anybody else, if they had a wonderful joy course, you'd sign up, suffering. Wonderful joy. So you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all 
the world. Today's suffering is not the last word. It's not. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, you see that Jesus Christ takes those who suffered and were martyred and he puts on them a new robe and he speaks over them the word and gives them rest. The one word that America needs to hear and live in more than anything else, the word rest. Jesus says they're going to be honored and given rest. And then if you read ahead to Revelation 17, you see that God takes all those persecutors and all those enemies of God and he punishes them. They end. You see, guys, the enemy always looks like the victor right up to the moment he loses. It's like a chess game. And here's God on one side of the, the board, and there's, there's the, the enemy, Satan the accuser, the devil on the other side of the board. And the devil's that loud mouth. Do you guys have a loud mouth friend who was a bad winner growing up? Anybody? Anyone married to that person? <laughs> Thanks for not answering. I just like to throw that out there. And, and so you got, you got God on one side of the board, and, and God's God. God is chill. God's got it all. He knows how things are going. You don't sneak up on God. You never surprise God. He inhabits every moment at every point in time. He's God, man. And there's the devil over there, and he jumps a pawn, and he takes a pawn off the board and goes, yeah, pow, and smacks it off there, pawn off the board. God's just chill, and the devil's loud, rowdy, calls CNN or whoever and gets it on the news. Devil knocked a pawn off the board. The devil's a champion. <sighs> I'm having more fun than I should. I know. <laughs> I know. And he does that the whole game. Knocks a knight off. Knocks a bishop off. A rook off. God's down to one piece. And says, checkmate. And it is done. It's exactly what happened at the cross. It looks like Satan is winning, and he's winning, and there's a betrayer, there's an arrest, there's a false accusation, there's a condemnation of death, there's the beating, there's the march to the cross, there's being nailed to the cross, there's dying on the cross. And it looks like every step of the way, the, the enemy's winning, 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 winning. And then Sunday morning, God says, checkmate. And, say, and Jesus Christ rises up, and Satan's battle is lost. That's exactly how it's going to work, guys. <laughs> Sorry, I really like that image there. It will look like the enemy's winning right up until God shuts him down. Okay? You have no reason to fear. If you're afraid right now, it's because you are choosing to be afraid. Choose faith. Choose to believe that God is bigger than any enemy in your life, no matter what it is. Amen? Okay. There's no reason to fear. This is why we should not fear persecution. Now let's get prepared. I'm checking the time. doesn't mean a thing. Philippians 3.10. Paul writes, oh, I love this verse. <laughs> Underline this. Whatever you do in your phone to remember a verse, you need this verse. You need both of these verses. Paul writes, I want, I want. And this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul writing from jail. Already got a life, several years of suffering for Christ and, and preaching for Christ. And, 
and, and seeing lives change for Christ. He's got years of it behind him. And here he sits in this jail and he writes the words, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Does that level up your game or what? I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This was Paul's mission. It wasn't about, yes, he, he had the mission of getting the gospel out there and getting the gospel to the edges of the earth or the ends of the earth, but that was not, the primary focus was not that. The primary focus was, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That was Paul's heart and motivation. I want what? I want to suffer with him. I want this. Sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here's what we need to do. Once we grapple with the reality that we don't have a reason to fear, here's what we need to do. We need to go hard after Jesus. We need to go hard after Jesus. Ask yourself a question right now. How could I go harder after Jesus today? How could I pursue him more? How could I know him better? How can I connect with him? How could I love him? How could I represent him? How can I level up my Jesus game? How could I do that? How can I press into him and his faith become greater in me? You see, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the priority. Jesus is your hope. It's not your bank accounts. It's not the next health report. It's, it's not anybody's opinion of you. It's not how many likes you get on stupid face to mediagram distinctly book. I made that up. I made that up. You, might, if that, you think that's a real social media thing, but it's... Actually, it is. Never mind. So, sorry, I'm wrong. <clears throat> when Jesus is your number one, man. There's a song that's out by Brandon Lake, came out a few weeks ago, or a couple months, I guess, called House of Worship. And uh, it's challenging me in my core. Because the song, he, he sings about how that this house, his house, not, not the church house, his house. That in his house, we talk to Jesus. In this house, we pray in Jesus' name. In this house. Guys, I, if, if you want to be ready for whatever comes, go hard after Jesus. Go hard after Jesus. It's like Peter on the waves, man. The harder you focus in on Jesus, the less the storm means. You get distracted by the storm and you start sinking. Don't let this storm that you're going through sink you. Go hard after Jesus. Amen? First thing, go hard after Jesus. Second thing, <clears throat> So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never 
fall away. There it is. We don't like to talk about it. I grew up in Baptist churches. We tried not to touch those scriptures at all. But Jesus had a concern about this thing called falling away. And he told us in Matthew 28, we already read, he said there's a day coming where love is going to wane, where where people are going to lose their love, and they're going to fall away. They're going to betray me, and they're going to hate each other. I don't know if those days are upon us or not. But you got to put Jesus in your windshield. you got to focus on him, go hard after him, and you got to put falling away way in the rear view. When Christy and I do marriage coaching, we have a hard time getting past the first session, and here's why. I'll tell you now. It'll save you the phone call. We love people, and we know that marriage can be awesome. But... We'll sit down at a table, a couple who want to talk to us, and we'll say, guys, here's what's got to happen. You've got to take divorce off the table. You've got to take it off. And they'll inevitably go, why? We don't know if we want to stay together. And we'll go, I understand that. But here's the thing. As long as divorce is sitting out in front of you, you're going to drift toward it. When I was a kid, when I first started, it's like this. When I was a kid, I first started driving at whatever age it was, probably too young knowing my parents. <clears throat> my dad had me on the highway one day, and he told me, he said, son, this is a big truck coming by. Don't look at it. And, of course, I listened to my father. <laughs> and as soon as the truck come by, the car's rumbling. There's a big truck next to me. Roads are a little smaller back east. And I began to look over in a little bit of fear toward the truck. And you know what started to happen? I started to drift underneath that truck. My dad literally reached over and grabbed the wheel, pulled us back in the lane. That's what, that's what happens when something's on the table that shouldn't be there. You start drifting toward it. That's why you can't fear something. You start fearing that a thing's going to happen, you're going to get sucked into that thing happening. And so when we, we have that conversation and we, we want people to do that because if you will focus on God putting that marriage back together, you can succeed and have a great marriage. But if it's always going to be an option, well, I've always got an escape hatch, sooner or later, usually sooner, you will pull the lever. And so, guys, when it comes to falling away, you cannot live in fear of it. The answer to falling away is pursuing Jesus, not fearing falling away. This is a serious issue, but the answer is simple. Jesus, let him fill your windshield. So, you want to be prepared for anything? Go hard after Jesus. Put falling away behind you. And lastly, I'm just going to go to the point because I'm running out of time. Love your enemies. <clears throat> Love your enemies. That is such a Christian thing, isn't it? Usually someone says it with a lilt in their voice. Well, you know, you've got to love your enemies. Ooh. We say it, but we don't do it. The theology of it makes sense. The application, not so much. Jesus said, love those who persecute you. Why? Do you realize that the enemy and those that he has tricked into following him, they want you to hate them. They want you to. 
And, and so when we get sucked into that lie, we do not look like Jesus Christ. In fact, let me tell you what's happening when we begin to hate our enemies and we begin to fear the future. This will help you. Fear is an indicator of something. Where I'm afraid, I have no love. You see, Paul, John writes in 1 John 4.10 that perfect love casts out fear. And so when there's a place in my life that I'm afraid, I'm afraid of the future, I'm afraid of whatever could come, I'm afraid of this diagnosis, I'm afraid of whatever. When I have that moment of fear, love is missing. And so here's how you beat it. Here's how you overcome fear in your life. Learn to love in that moment. What did Jesus do? As he's being crucified, he's being nailed to a cross. He had every reason to hate the people who had unjustly condemned him and were now killing him. He, he had every reason to, to call in a legion of angels to wipe those dudes out. What does he do? As he's laying there, being nailed to a cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Granted, it's e the second part's easy. We like to say they don't know what they're doing. But the truth is, we have a hard time saying, Father, forgive them. So if you're in a moment where you're afraid right now, ask yourself this question. How can I love here? How can I love here? How can I say, Father, forgive them here? What would that look like if I brought love into this moment of fear? I don't know. I, I, I don't know what that's going to look like for you. All I know is that if we move forward and we focus hard on Jesus so hard that falling away from him isn't even an option, isn't even on our radar, and then when the difficult times come and the persecutors come and the trolls on your social media accounts show up and, and the people attack you at work or whatever it is, and rather than being afraid of them, rather, by the way, angry and afraid are the same thing with just two different shades of light on them, okay? And, and so whenever that fear shows up, the first question I need to ask is, how can I love here? How can I love here? This is the main point I'm trying to drive home today, so I, I thought I'd just give it to you. Simple. Persecution is not a reason of fear. Fear's driven the worst parts of church history. Do not be afraid. Be encouraged. Be prepared. How do you prepare? We just went through it. Go hard after Jesus. Could you go harder after Jesus today? Could you pursue Jesus? Could you level up your pursuit of Christ in any way today? Could you pray more? Could you open your Bible more? Could you get into a small group and, and get some people around you who are pursuing Jesus more? Could you do that? Because those are... Those are some things that could really help you level up your game. And if you're not doing it, would you consider it? Would you do it? Would you pray more, read more, think about God more, worship more, and do it with other believers? Would you consider that if you're afraid right now and your faith is wavering, that the answer is not to walk away but to walk toward Man, if anyone ever tells you that they've never doubted in their faith, they're lying. 
We struggle with our faith. I struggle with my faith. God asks you to do things sometimes. You're like, what? That's normal. And if that's where you are, I get it. You could talk to me. You could pour out your heart, your anger, whatever you got in you, and I would not be surprised because I have been there or I've had a friend who was there. Don't. Don't walk away. Don't give up on your faith. Don't fall away. Don't turn back to the world that broke you. The reason you came to Jesus because that world out there shattered you, broke you, and, and, and filled you with unforgiveness and bitterness. And so you turned to Jesus, and now you're struggling with your faith, so you're going to go turn back to the people who hurt you? Don't do it. If you're struggling with that today, press into Christ. Don't walk away. How could you press harder? How could you turn into, and then for everybody else, how could you love more? How could we love the fear out of our lives? How could we love the hurt, the bitterness, the chaos, the anger, the insults? How could we love that out of our lives? Fighting against it isn't working. Yelling at people isn't working. Your debate skills aren't up to par. I really wanted to crack a joke right there, but it wasn't the moment, so I didn't. I deserve a bozo button. I'm just kidding. Right now, I'm handing the service over to Michael, and we're going to do communion together. We're going to do communion together to bring all of this that we have talked about into a visual. So, Pastor Michael, 